How are we? You can have a seat. Awesome. Come on, who's, who's loving Jesus tonight? Anybody love Jesus? Oh, come on, if there's anybody we're clapping for tonight, it's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Come on, put your hands together. Awesome. Awesome, man. I think they might bring a stool out. If they have one in the back, that would be great. I could use that. But um, hey, it's awesome to be with you. This is uh, my first trip to Arkansas, and uh, I bring greetings from Jacksonville, Florida. Anyone like Florida? Anyone ever been to Florida? Does anyone like Disney World? Disney World? It's the land of sunshine and Mickey Mouse. And uh, it's awesome. I'm really glad to be here. It's such a, a privilege. And uh, man, I just want to say publicly, I, I know Pastor Rick Bizet is not in the building right now. Um, but man, just to Pastor Rick and the whole team here. And uh, hey, do you love your youth pastors? Put your hands together. All of these guys. Man, just Pastor Chris and Hunter and Tyler and Amir and everyone. And it's just amazing. Like, I, I fall in love with this team. It's just such a great team. And, uh, you know, sometimes when you sit underneath uh, such great leadership for a long time, you don't really know how blessed you are. Um, so I'm going to tell you how blessed you are to be under such awesome men that, uh, man, they love God, they love their families, and they love building the church. Amen? Awesome. And uh, I bring greetings not just from Jacksonville and Celebration, but I have a family as well. I have, uh, I have a wife. I've been married for eight years. Her name is Bethany. And uh, we have a little baby boy. Uh, his name is Jude. And uh, he's awesome. He's super cool. Um, potential first-round draft pick one day for sure. And uh, I think we might even have a picture of Bethany and Jude if they want to throw it up. Um, I, I don't know if they have it or not. Um, if they don't, it's all good. But, uh, but they're, they're really cool. You'll just have to trust me on that. And, uh, and they look awesome. But uh, you, can go, you can find us on Instagram, right? And that's where everyone's posting pictures these days. Who has Instagram? Raise your hand. Who does not have Instagram? Okay. It's okay. It's probably, it's probably a parental thing. I get it. I get it. So, awesome. Hey, if you have your Bible, let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. Did anyone bring their Bible to church tonight? Does anyone have their Bible on a glowing device? Awesome. I'm just going to trust you. You could have just held up a text message, and I would never have known the day. But God knows, right? God knows. So, awesome. Hey, Exodus chapter 14 is where I want to go tonight. And um, man, how good was worship? Worship was awesome. This team is amazing. And um, I wish the dude that was standing right here with the blonde hair would just come and sing Journey at my house, like, all the time. Like, don't stop believing, right? That'll preach right there. So, uh, hey, Exodus 14, starting in verse 5, if you did not read your Bible this week, uh, we're fixing to get some Bible reading in right now. So uh, buckle down, and we've got a little bit of reading to do, and then I'm going to share a message that God literally gave me five seconds ago um, as we were worshiping, and uh, we're going to believe that God's going to speak to people tonight. He's going to do something awesome in your life. Who is expecting God to do something great tonight? <laughs> see, see I'll, let, I'll let you know this, students. I've been in enough church services now to know the outcome of a service has a lot less to do with the preacher and his message. It has a lot more to do with the faith sitting in the seats walking through the doors. And if you will come into church every single time the doors are open and you will lift up such a spirit of faith, I'm here to tell you, you'll never be disappointed. God will always move. He'll always speak to you. It's amazing that thousands of people can walk into one building, one message can be preached, but it can speak to different people in different ways. That's the power of the Holy Spirit, and that's what God is going to do here tonight. So Exodus chapter 14, it says this in verse 5. <clears throat> it says this, when the king 
of Egypt was told that the people had fled. Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? Okay, so right here, all the Israelites are leaving Egypt, okay? What have we done? We've let the Israelites go and we've lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and he took his army with them. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers all over them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh the king so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. When the Egyptians, all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped near the sea. And as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. And they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out here to die in the desert? We have, uh, what have we done to you by you bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians. Wouldn't it have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert? Verse 13, and Moses answered the people, don't be afraid. Stand firm and you'll see the deliverance of the Lord that he'll bring you today. And the Egyptians you see today, you'll never see again. I love that right there. Hey, what you see chasing you right now today, oh, you're never gonna see that again. God's about to handle it. And this is what he said in verse 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Look at your neighbor and say, move on. Move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can cross through the sea on dry ground. And I'll harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I'm the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. That's a whole nother message, but if you won't give God the glory, he'll find a way to get the glory out of your life one way or another. God, every, every life on this earth will bring glory to the Lord. And then in verse 19, then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between them and the armies of Egypt. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side, so neither went uh, so, so neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched his hand out over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. And the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water to their right and a wall of water to their left. And the Egyptians pursued them, and Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. And during the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from a pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army, and threw them into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so that they had a hard time driving. And the Egyptians said, let us get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them and against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place and the Egyptians were fleeing toward it. And the Lord swept them into the sea and the water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea all died. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water to the right and to the left. And the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the seashore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of God on display against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Now one more verse of scripture for you. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 30, it says this. There is no wisdom, I love it. There is no wisdom there is no insight and there is no plan that can succeed against the Lord. You can just keep it up for a second. 
I want you to write that down if you're taking notes tonight. You need to write this verse down. It's so encouraging to us as believers. There's no wisdom, there's no insight, and there's no plan that can succeed against the Lord. Amen? I wanna pray for us. And uh, if you like taking notes tonight, I've entitled tonight's message, Checkmate. Checkmate. And uh, we're gonna believe God's gonna do something awesome. So Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that every single time we open up the Bible, we are never, ever the same. Not if we don't wanna be. God, tonight we're gonna leave different than when we walked in. Tonight, God, people are gonna be saved. Tonight, people are gonna be restored. Tonight, people who are totally downcast and in states of depression, God, you're gonna bring hope and joy back into their life. God, all of this is going to happen over the next 30 minutes in a church service where your Holy Spirit's at. God, we love you and we worship you and we choose to lean in to your word tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen? Amen. 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 Hey, I wanna read a a true story to you, if that's okay. And it's not a long story, but it's true. And and, and I want you to hear the words of this because this is where we're going tonight with this message. And it says this. In the late 1800s, in the early 1900s, there used to be a painting in the Louvre Art Museum in Paris, France, called The Chess Players, or Checkmate. And it was painted by Friedrich August Reich, and it is now in private hands after being sold in 1999. And this painting depicts two chess players, one who is Satan, and he appears to be arrogantly confident, and the other player is a man who looks forlorn and forsaken. And the painting is to depict the thought that if Satan wins this chess match, then he gets the man's soul. And according to a museum source, a true chess champion actually visited the museum once and after studying the painting, noticed the arrangement of the chess pieces in the painting were incorrect. According to him, the devil who thought he was winning was in fact not winning. And the man who thought he was losing was actually winning because according to the pieces left on the chessboard, the king had one more move left which would make him the winner of the game. And he called the museum curator and they determined that the title of the painting did not fit the scene because the distraught looking player actually has the ability to defeat his opponent, though he obviously doesn't realize it. Therefore, the painting is a lie because his king can still make one more move. His king can still make one more move. You see, it's simple tonight, students. I I came all the way from Jacksonville to preach uh, what I believe is a powerful message for our generation, but it's a very, very simple one. You see, I think at times what the enemy, we we have an enemy, the devil is real, and I think what he tries to do at times is he tries to so make your life chaotic and twisted and a mess that you literally look at it and you say, "I, I don't know what to do, I don't know where to go, my life is falling apart, I feel like I have no friends, I feel like I have no way out from where I currently am, but I came to remind some students tonight that as long as the king has one more move left, you still have a reason to shout and praise God. As long as the king still has one more move, it's not over. You see, it's not over until God says that it's over. I think the enemy tries to fill young people's minds with depression, and he tries to make life so horrible and so unbearable. It's almost like the enemy, the devil, is whispering in your ear, checkmate. See, I don't know if we got any chess players in the house tonight, but checkmate simply means game over. There, There are no more moves for you when someone calls out checkmate. And I feel like the enemy whispers to a lot of students in high school, even in middle school, in our generation in the United States and says, checkmate, checkmate. There are things that are plaguing your life. There are real life issues that you're walking through. There are real addictions. There's real depression. There's real suicidal thoughts. And the devil is whispering to you, checkmate. 
You, you got no more moves left. You're fresh out of moves. And I feel like it's in that moment that there needs to be a spirit of boldness and faith that rises up inside of us. We look back at that devil and we say, you know what? I might not have any moves left, but thank God I serve a God who is a king and the king still has one more move in my life. The king always has another move. Jesus always has another move. See, I don't know who I'm preaching to tonight, but I believe, man, I'm over there worshiping, and I really felt like God deposited this. Say this tonight, Clay. I'm here to just remind somebody the king has one more move in your life. All is not lost. It is not over. There might even be students in here tonight, and you have contemplated suicide. You've literally thought, man, I am at the end of my rope. If I disappeared tomorrow, no one would care. No one would know. I don't think anyone would even mind. I came to tell you tonight, Jesus has another move. Jesus has another move in your life, and he wants to do something significant. The king always has one more move. I thought about this. Life is so much easier to bear at times when you remind yourself the king has one more move. Like, let's just be real. Could we just be real in church tonight? Life's tough. Sometimes life is difficult. Sometimes life throws you curveballs that you did not expect, but it's a whole lot easier when you know the king has another move left. That you are not out of moves, but Jesus is still working on your behalf. And I wanna encourage you tonight, I wanna help resurrect some faith inside of some young people tonight to really honestly believe that. And I love what we read in Proverbs 21. What a massive encouragement to us as a believer in, in verse 30. There is no wisdom, there's no insight, and there is no plan that can succeed against our God. You know, in Exodus 14, Israel, we just read the story, right? Here's Israel, and, and they're, they're at a, a really difficult time. They've just left Egypt, right? They were in slavery for hundreds of years, and now here they've, they've left Egypt, but now there's a wall of water in front of them. A huge body of water called the Red Sea. There are no boats around, right? Like, they ain't getting on no boats. And we got, a, we got a ticked off Egyptian army behind us and we have a huge body of water in front of us and everyone starts to just get really, really afraid. Everyone starts freaking out. They start yelling at Moses. Moses, why'd you bring us out here, man? Moses, this did not look very premeditated. What, what in the world is going on? There surely was another way. You missed it and now we're stuck and we're all gonna die. Like, like Moses, this is really, really bad. People are getting negative. People are getting scared, people are getting fearful, but what happened in scripture, the king had one more move. Jesus had one more move in their life, and when the people of God thought that there was no way out, what does God do? He makes a way where there is no way. He makes a way where there is no way. Look at Isaiah chapter 43, you can write it down, it might not be on the screen tonight, but Isaiah 43 and 19, it says this, it says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, don't you see it? Don't you see it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. I love this verse so much. I love it so much. It's such an amazing verse because God is basically saying two massively encouraging things. He's saying this. Number one, I'm about to make a move. And number two, you've never seen this before. I love that about God. This is what God says to our life. He says, hey, I know you're in a bind right now, but I'm gonna do two things. I'm about to make a move in your life and you've never, ever seen this before. See, students, you need to understand this tonight. Our God is so good that he makes a way where there is no way. Like, like God doesn't just make a way where kind of the old way is blocked a little bit and like it hasn't been used in a while, so he just kind of makes a way on the old way. No, no, that's not what scripture says. It says that where there is no way, God makes a way. See, sometimes in life, I think that we have like no way circumstances that come up in our life. 
And, and I think sometimes there are easy things and we feel like, okay, well, I feel like if I pray about this, God, you're, you're gonna kind of pull through. But then all of a sudden, the devil hits you with something and you're like, there, there's no way out of this. There, there's no way I'm gonna overcome this temptation. There's no way I'm gonna get over this addiction. There's no way I'm gonna get over this massive mountain that is in front of me, but yet we serve a God that specializes in no way. There is no way, but yet God makes a way where there is no way. I love that about our Jesus. You know, I thought about in life and even in scripture, I think that there's two types of moments. I think that there's wow moments and then there's no way kind of moments. There's wow moments and there's no way moments. Like I think in, in that one verse in scripture where the disciples are out fishing and they catch like a massive load of fish in the boat. Like that's kind of like a wow moment. You're like, wow, God. Wow, Jesus, that's amazing, wow. That, that's a wow moment. But then there's like no way moments. Like when Jesus walks out of his own tomb, right? Like if, like if we were there, we'd probably just, like your jaw would drop to the ground. You're like, no way. You see, that's the kind of move God wants to make in your life. I think God's gonna do a lot of wow, cool things in your lifetime, but there's gonna be some things that he does and it's gonna be no way kind of things. God specializes in making a way where there's never been a way before. And what I wanna do tonight is, what I, when I like to you know, preach, I, I kinda like to take a passage of scripture and I, I wanna wring it out for everything that we can find in it. So if you wanna take notes, I'll, I'll give you some points along the way. The first thing I noticed in that Exodus chapter was in verse 10 and 11. And I'll, you can write this down. Point number one tonight, I guess, would be this. Um, does your dead end in life, if you feel like you're at a dead end, does it lead to prayer to God or murmuring against God? In other words, does it lead to praying or complaining? Here, here's the, the Israelite nation, right? They, they come up to the Red Sea like, oh my gosh, it's blocked. There's no way we're gonna get past this sea. The Egyptians are approaching and the Bible tells us that the whole nation splits into two types of people. There, there were people who were praying and crying out to God, God save us, make a way, and then there were people who immediately started complaining yelling at Moses, getting angry, get, just stirring up trouble. And my question to you tonight, students, is this. When you feel like you're at a dead end in life, which person do you turn into? Do you turn into a praying person, saying, God, I, I, don't, I don't see a way, but I know that you can make a way? Do you turn into a praying person, or do you turn into a complaining person? Do, do you start getting angry at God? Do you start getting angry and mad at everyone around you? You see, I think for our generation, you gotta ask yourself the question, has prayer become our first response or is it our last resort? I think for too many students, prayer has become our last resort. We will try everything under the sun and then if that doesn't work, then we'll go pray and ask God for his help. I mean, we gotta we got get this right, students, and, and we gotta get it right soon. Prayer needs to start becoming the first response in your life, and I hope that when the enemy, because here's the deal, you're in high school now. I mean, some of you, maybe young adults or even middle schoolers in the room tonight, but, but you got a lot of life ahead of you, and, and you've already hit some dead ends now, but there's probably gonna be some more perceived dead ends along the way. I want you to rise up and be a praying person. I want prayer to be your first response in all those types of situations. You see, what I noticed was interesting about the Israelites, and it's really true about us as well, is how quickly we forget the previous works of God. Like we forget, here's the Israelites. It's like, yo, y'all just got out of Egypt. Did you forget the 10 plagues? Did you forget that God just led you out of slavery? You had been there for 400 years. Do you remember like, like God just did all this stuff and yet here you are and you already are doubting whether or not God can do this? See, students, don't let a spirit of forgetfulness 
get on your life. You need to remember what God has done in your life. Sometimes you gotta remember what God has pulled you out of so that you can have faith for what he's leading you into. God's done great and awesome things in our life. Some of you, it's just a miracle that you're even in the building tonight. Like you're like, yo, I didn't even grow up in church. I'm not even from a Christian family. My parents don't even love God, serve Jesus, attend church, but yet here you are. Like God's, God's good and he's led you to this moment. And in, in a lifetime, you gotta remember the good things God has done for us because it'll help you have faith for what he's leading you into. Don't get caught with forgetfulness. The second thing I noticed in the scriptures in verse 14 when the Bible says very clearly, the Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. See, I wanna talk to some high schoolers real quick who um, you wake up and you go to school every single day and, and maybe school for you is difficult. Maybe friendships at school can be difficult and you feel like every single day is a battle and you're fighting and it's stressing you out and it's bringing depression on your life and you're getting really, really tired and really, really anxious and, and you feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders. But I'm here to remind you of scripture today. Life is a whole lot easier. It's a lot easier to put my two feet on the ground and get out of bed in the morning when I know that I'm not the only one fighting for my life. The Lord will fight for you. Like that's it, come on, yeah, you can put your hands together. How much better is it that I can walk into my day and into my week knowing that God has my back? God is fighting for me. Even if none of my other friends seem to be fighting for me, hello. You ever been surrounded by those types of people? Come on, you, you might be sitting beside him right now. I know you don't want to say anything. So, um, but, but, but sometimes, even though my friends don't have my back, even though my parents might not even understand, and maybe they're not even a real big support at times, but God is fighting for me. God, the God of the universe, who literally, you walk outside tonight, you lift your head up, you look at the stars, you look at everything that he has done all around the world, that same God is fighting for me every single day when I go to school, every single day when I go to work, Every single day when I walk into my job or I go to university or whatever, God is fighting for me. The next thing I noticed in verse 19 is this. God is your front and rear guard. God's your front and rear guard. See, the Bible tells us that there was a pillar of cloud and fire that was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. But yet when they came to the Red Sea, the pillar of cloud and fire moved from being in front of them and it went to being behind them because the Egyptians were approaching. And so the cloud of, of, of pillar of cloud and of fire is now protecting them from the Egyptians. You see, it, it led them and it protected them on the backside. God is your front and rear guard. He's moving on your behalf. And what I mean by that is this. When I say God is your front guard, in other words, God will protect your future and what's coming ahead of you. God will do that in your life, young person. He'll protect what is ahead of you, but at the same time, here's your, he, he is your rear guard. So in other words, God will protect you from your past that the enemy tries to bring in front of your face all the time. See, I, I don't know about you, there's a lot of things in my past that I wish weren't in my past. There was definitely some years of life that were lived before I started serving Jesus Christ. I can go back at times, and, and the enemy, even still now, I'm 30 years old, I'm married, I have a kid, but the enemy at times will still try to bring that past and show it to me in my face, but no, 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 God is my front and rear guard. He's protecting me where I'm going, he's leading me where I'm going, but he's gonna protect me from the past that the enemy tries to shove in my face. I love that about God. 
I love that about God, that God, when you start serving Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus, God's not just focused on what's ahead of you. He's going to do a great job at that. But God will end and crush and destroy all that mess of sin that is behind you. The Bible says that who God sets free is free indeed. He will guard you from the past that the enemy tries to shove in your face. He's our front and rear guard. What an amazing God to serve. You can leave your house every morning knowing that God has me covered. I am looked after. I am watched over. I am protected. I am sheltered, shielded, and covered by an almighty God. Man, that's amazing. Number four, the fourth thing I saw in verse 24 is this. Where God leads you, he'll light you. Where God leads you, he will light you. And what I mean by that is, is this. Scholars believe that the Israelites, as they were crossing through the Red Sea, right, waters go up on the left and the right. Like, dude, that would be amazing. I hope when we get to heaven, there's like a highlight reel and we can all watch this. It's gonna be dope, okay? So here it is, right? Waters go up on the right and the left, and, and the Bible says it's dry ground. Like, that's, that's a whole nother message about how good God is. He didn't just make it muddy ground. That would have been good. No, it's dry ground they're walking over, okay? And, and as they're walking through, scholars believe this, that as they were passing through, um, it was at night. And it wasn't just any night, but, but it was seven days after a full moon, which means that there's like no moonlight outside. So it is pitch black dark in the middle of the Middle East in a wilderness as they're crossing through the Red Sea. The only thing lighting their way was the pillar of fire that God provided. See, understand this, students. Where God leads you, you better also believe that he will light you. He'll light the path. There's gonna be times in life where you feel like, God, I can't, I can't see. I don't know. Where, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do with my life? God, I don't know what my career path is. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my calling is. But listen, if God's leading you, he'll light you. He'll light the way. He will make it as clear as day what he wants you to do. Now, he might not give you all the, the details up front, but you just keep putting one foot in front of the other as you're serving Jesus, and God will be faithful to light your path every step of the way. Where God leads you, he will light you. You see, how is God accomplishing this right now? The Bible says in Psalm 119, maybe you can even finish it. The Bible says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a what? And a light. For my path. Your word is a lamp and a light. I don't know, uh, I, I, I don't know where you stand on, on the issue of scary movies. I know it's October. And uh, does anyone like scary movies? Anyone like it? A lot of people like it. Some people like, I don't know, it's, it's church. Can I like scary movies? Or, I don't know. Um, it's okay, whatever. And so, uh, but, um, but, you know, there's one thing that really frustrates me about uh, scary movies. I don't tend to watch them a lot. I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I get scared at scary movies. I turn into a 13-year-old girl. And, um, and so are there any 13-year-old girls here today? Awesome. So I, I turn into you, basically. Um, and so, but, uh, so here I am, right? And some of you are way more, like, manly than I am. But um, that's weird. Don't say, okay. Uh, but one thing really frustrates me about scary movies, and it's this, sometimes when the person like walks into their house, maybe they know that there's like a killer on the loose, or there's something weird that's happening, there's like, there's something out there, but they like really don't know what it is yet, but when they walk into the house and they don't turn the light on, what is up with that? Who does that? Like, for real, 
Who walks into a dark house? Like, it's, like, this is the movie, right? It's like they walk into the house, they don't turn a light on, and they go right upstairs and take a dark shower. Who does that? <laughs> come on, come on, you know? And, and, it's, and it's crazy, and it's like you're, you're watching the movie, and you're saying to yourself, turn the light on. Turn the light on. The killer's in the shower. Turn the light. Turn the light on. It's crazy, right? It's ridiculous. It's so silly. You're like, no one does that in real life. I, I don't understand. L listen to me, students. It is just as silly and ridiculous. The person who is walking through dark times in life and you refuse to let the word be a lamp and a light. It's what it is created to do. It makes no sense to try to navigate your high school career and not open up the Word of God and let it be a lamp for the four years that you're in high school. It makes no sense to go off to college where the world and the enemy is going to try to fill it up with darkness and you not pull out the only lamp and the only light that God has told you will light the path and lead the way. It's silly and it's ridiculous, but yet how many thousands of students walk through dark, dark life and they don't turn the light on? And they don't turn the light on. It's what this book was created to do. And when, and when you don't open it up, and when you don't read it, and when you don't have a private devotion time with God, you're, you're not letting it do what it was meant to do. Can I encourage you in this tonight? Let the word be the lamp. Let the word be the light. Stop walking into the proverbial dark house and not turning the light on. Man, the, the, the world, the Bible says this, the Bible says that the earth, what's happening in the world, it's only getting darker and darker and darker. Like I have a 13 month old son I don't, I don't even know what the world's gonna be like by the time he's my age, but the world is getting darker and darker and darker. But I love what God's word tells us, that as the world is getting darker and darker, the Bible says that the genuine, true church of Jesus Christ will get brighter and brighter and brighter every step of the way. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that that church that the Bible talks about includes some students in Little Rock, Conway, Arkansas, that are gonna open up the book, that are gonna be devoted and follow the Holy Spirit. Oh, we're getting brighter every step of the way when we follow Jesus Christ. Where God leads you, he will light you. He does it all the time. The fifth thing I notice is this. Write this down. Listen, this is gonna be important, okay? The tables turn when God sits at your table. The tables turn when God sits at your table. The band could go ahead and get ready to join me tonight. The tables turn when God sits at your table. See, what I noticed in that story with the Egyptians and the Israelites in verse 25 was this. The Bible says that as the Israelites were kind of stuck for a moment and they don't know where to go and there's the Red Sea and the whole deal, the Bible says that as the Egyptians are chasing them, at first, they're really loud. They're, they're full of hate. They're full of anger. They're full of rage. I mean, it's, it's harsh. We're gonna get you. We're gonna kill you. We're gonna take you back to slavery. Like, like they think, oh, we're coming for you now. But the Bible says that God parts the waters and the Israelites walk through and now the Egyptians are starting to walk through, right? They're, they're in the middle, they're on the ground and the waters are parted and the Egyptians are walking through but the Bible tells us that the Lord begins to mess with their chariots. Now all of a sudden their, their chariots can't move. They're, they're, they're stuck, they're confused, they, they don't know what's happening and the Bible says that Egyptian men start shouting out, let's go back, 
it's obvious that God is fighting for them and against us. You see, listen to me, students. The enemy will start singing a different tune when he realizes God is fighting for you. The tables always turn when God sits at your table. Oh, oh, they thought they had a massive advantage, those Egyptians. I mean, here's the enemy. The enemy, imagine, imagine if you're the enemy, right? You're, you're the Egyptians. You're looking and you're saying, oh, man, the, all these people have nowhere to go. Man, you, you can't cross through that sea. I don't know what's happening up there, but, but we're going to get you and we're going to take you back to slavery. You see, this is what the enemy does in us today. The devil hates the fact that you, every single day following Jesus, are getting more and more free to live the life that God's called you to live. And he, the devil sees you. He sees you from a distance, and he says, I know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna grab you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get you, and I'm gonna take you back into that addiction. I'm gonna take you back into that slavery. I'm gonna take you back into all that mess. I'm gonna take you back into that party scene. I'm gonna take you back into that bad relationship. Oh, I'm gonna get you, and I'm gonna take you. But then all of a sudden, he sees someone fighting on your behalf, and now he's singing a different tune, and he's saying, oh, I, I can't mess with this individual anymore. We're gonna have to go somewhere else because it's obvious that God is fighting for them, and the tables have now turned because God is sitting at their table. Man, the tables turn when God sits at the table. I don't know about you, but I wanna live my life every single day inviting God. God, if you need a table to sit at, you can sit at this one. You, you can sit at mine. God, I will make room for you at my table. I want you to fight for me. God, God, if your word says that you will fight for people, God, please fight for me. God, please come and do that in my life. You see, I wanna give you just three main points that kinda sum up everything tonight that we're talking about. The first one is this. Remember, students, God always has another move. When you leave here tonight, I want you to remember these three things. If you hear nothing else that I say, hear these three. God always has another move, number one. You know, when I read scripture, I thought of a lot of other people in, in the Bible that show us this. You know, I thought about Daniel in the lion's den. Here's a man, Daniel, and if you grew up in church, maybe you know this story, and, and he's just trying to do what God called him to do. He's just trying to be faithful. He's just trying to be obedient to, to God in a world that is turning away from serving Jesus. Sounds a lot like 2015 in the United States. He's just trying to do what's right, but doing what's right got him thrown in a lion's den. And he's probably sitting in a lion's den. You know, Daniel, when he was in the lion's den, Daniel was 90 years old, nine zero. He's a 90 year old man sitting in a lion's den, probably thinking to himself, God, like, like, what in the world, man? Like, hello, 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 like, where are you? You know, God, I was, I was doing what you told me to do, and, and now look, why, why, what in the world, God, why am I here? But, but, but what happened? The king had another move. He, he thought maybe this is the end of my story, maybe this is how I'm gonna go out, but the king had one more move. I thought about Acts chapter 16. The Bible tells us there were two men, Paul and Silas, and all they're doing is preaching Jesus. All they're doing is they're just, they're going around the city, they're telling people about Jesus, and the Bible says they get thrown in jail. It's not like an overnight, like I've, I've done an overnight before, okay? It's a, another story that we don't wanna hear. Um, I'm not talking an overnight, I'm talking about you're in jail and, and you might not ever get out again, right? And here they are, they were just trying to serve God, and now they're in jail, but what happens is the king had another move. 
and they lift up a shout of praise and the Bible tells us that their chains along with every other person in the prison, their chains were broken and the gates flew open and they walked out of jail that night by the power of God and the Holy Spirit because the king had another move. God always has another move. I thought about Joseph. Joseph, he's, he's got dreams, he's got vision for his life and he starts telling people and the people he told didn't really appreciate it very much. See, maybe you got dreams and vision for your life and maybe your friends don't understand what God's put in your heart. Join the club. Joseph knows what that feels like. And, and Joseph's brothers, they, they take him and they throw him in a pit. And as he's sitting in the pit, he's probably thinking, what in the world? Like, God, you just gave me this dream. It sounded like a really cool thing, but now I'm in a pit and now I'm about to be sold into slavery. God, what, what are you doing? But the king had another move. And you read the rest of the story. And Joseph started in a pit, but he ends up in the palace because of the faithfulness of God every single step of the way because the king had another move. <laughs> Students, hear me tonight. God always has another move. The second thing you need to remember is this. You always have another option in Jesus. Because God always has another move, you always have another option in Jesus. See, sometimes the enemy comes, right? He whispers, checkmate, game over. I got you where I want you. Oh, it's, it's all finished now, but I'm here to tell you, you don't have to believe the lie of the enemy. You don't have to believe the false interpretation of the enemy. All the enemy can give you is the appearance that he's won, when in fact he hasn't won at all because the king has another move. What do they, what do they say about appearances? Appearances can be what? Deceiving. The only thing the devil can ever offer you is the appearance of victory. He, he never has the victory. Just like that chess match in that painting. The, the devil wasn't winning. The enemy wasn't winning. It appeared like he might be winning, but God had another move. God always has another move. You always have another option in Jesus. And number three is this. Grace always gives another chance. Grace always gives another chance. The Bible tells us about an adulterous woman. She was caught in the act of, of sleeping with someone that was not her spouse, right? Pretty bad stuff, right? Caught in the act, like that's, that's pretty wild, okay? And here, and here she is and she's brought before Jesus and, and she's thrown to the ground and all the Pharisees, all the religious people start picking up rocks and they're gonna stone this girl to death, right? But, but Jesus, in that moment, he says, hey, if, if you have no sin in, in your life, then, then go ahead and throw some stones. But, but if you have sin in your life, then you better put them down. And, and, and everyone puts their stones down and they walk away. And Jesus picks this woman up off the ground who was, who was clearly a sinner, clearly done some, some messed up stuff, clearly done some wrong stuff, probably like a lot of us, but he picks her up off the ground and he says, hey, hey woman, where are your accusers? Where, where are they? And, and she, she looks around and, and, and everyone is gone and, and Jesus looks at her and he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. Just, just go and sin no more. Just, just go and start living righteous. Just go and start living free. I don't know about you, maybe your sin isn't the same as that woman in that story, but I do know that everyone with a beating heart in this room tonight has sinned. We've all been there. But the reason I love God and Jesus so much is that grace always gives another chance. 
that it doesn't matter when the enemy comes, and, and this is what the enemy does to all of us. The enemy is the accuser of all of us. In other words, here's what the enemy does. He finds God and he says, hey God, what about her? Hey God, what about Clay? Hey God, what about Chris? Hey God, what about Hunter? Hey God, what about Katie? Hey God, what about them? Look, look at their life. Look at the sin in their life. Look what they did in the past. Look at them. What are you gonna do about that? And Jesus says, oh, it's no problem. I got grace for that. Oh, oh I died on a cross for that. Grace always gives another chance. You know, I think the greatest thing that we could see is the enemy trying to call checkmate. This is the last thing I wanna to say tonight, we're gonna to pray. I think the greatest example is easily the cross of Jesus Christ. That here was Jesus, right? If there was anyone, listen to me tonight, if there was anyone that deserved to be on that cross, it was all of us breathing air in this room. If there was one man who did not deserve to be on that cross, it was the man who got up on it. And there's Jesus, without sin, without blame. There was nothing impure about him. But yet the Bible says that he was brought to trial, he was falsely accused, and as he's led away, he's beaten and he's tortured. They pluck his beard right out of his face. The Bible says that he is whipped, he is beaten, he is flogged. I truly believe this, students. If you were to be there that day and look at Jesus, you physically would not be able to recognize him. He was so beaten up. I don't know if you've ever seen like a high school fight and someone get their tail beat. It was, that times a million. I mean, Jesus was beaten. The Bible says he was beaten and bruised for our transgressions and iniquities unrecognizable you can imagine how weak he is and now they put this big huge cross on his back and they say hey buddy walk up that hill and every step of the way he's carrying a heavy cross walking up the Via Della Rosa all the way to Golgotha the place of the skull the Bible says that he gets there and he's so weakened and he's bleeding profusely everywhere and they put the cross in the ground and and they put him up on the cross and they put nails in his hands and nails in his feet. And please understand, just understand this, the nails did not kill Jesus. See, the cross was about suffocation. If you wanted to breathe on the cross, you, you had to push up and, and get some breath because your body was hanging in such a way that you couldn't breathe. But what are you pushing up on? You're pushing up on the nails in your feet. Horrible, miserable, torturous stuff. And the Bible says that he hung there for hours at the end, the Bible says that he finally declares that it is finished and he bows his head and he welcomes death to come and take him. Understand this, the devil didn't kill Jesus. Jesus allowed death to come and take. He was in control every step of the way. That's how awesome God is. He, he says when death can and cannot come. So he hangs his head, he says it's finished and he, and he dies on the cross and they take him down and they put him in a tomb. And don't you know this to be true? Every minute and every second for three days, the enemy is saying, checkmate, checkmate. God, hey, hey, God the Father, hey, hey, that boy of yours that you sent down here to save all these miserable people that I don't even know why you love them so much, yeah, I just killed him. I just, I just killed him. Checkmate, you, you got no more moves left. 
You are fresh out of moves. Uh, it, is, it is over. Checkmate, checkmate, checkmate. But I came to remind some students in Arkansas that it was early on a Sunday morning when the king was making one more move. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit hits Jesus' life. He gets himself up. He rolls the stone away. He walks out on his own. Come on. No one came to get Jesus, but it was in his own power. It was in his own strength. It was in his own self that he walked himself right out of the grave. He defeated the final enemy. And I got to tell you, because God made that move 2,000 years ago, he's still making moves in our life even today. The king always has another move. You always have another option. And grace always gives another chance. Come on, I want us to lift our hands. I want us to lift our voice. If you want to come down here and worship, you're welcome to come. Come on, let's lift up a shout of praise. Come on, God is good. God is here. He's going to meet us. He's making a move in our life. Come on, let's sing.